0: I you this morning in the name of Jesus. I appreciate that song. I think I heard that one sung in Bible school. There, I think it was sort of almost like a bit of a theme song for the term. Very good song. You think about the Sunday school lesson we just got done discussing. Not of this world will satisfy me. Because Christ is the answer. Regardless of where life takes us on our journey... We get to the end of life. It's going to only be our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to, it's going to matter. Think of the um, the book of Ecclesiastes. I know in my younger years I kind of didn't understand a lot of it and probably still don't, but I've come to really enjoy the book of Ecclesiastes because of the central message Basically, you could sum it up, that it, and it is that life without God is meaningless. It's the way it is. And Solomon, like we talked about in the lesson, one of the wisest men, one of the richest men, he had so much riches, he could think anything he wanted to do and do it. Later in the book, he says he got, he got weary, he was just tired. In his brain of trying to think of some new thing to try. To bring happiness. Very, very good lesson for us. I'd like this morning to look at a, what I would say probably is sort of a foundational subject related to all of us in life. I would like this morning to bring a message on the on one of the commandments. Turn with me to Exodus 20. This is one of the ten commandments that were given, one we have repeated over and over in the scriptures. would like to think about this this morning for a while. Exodus 20 and verse 12. I shared this message at Bible school a few weeks ago, so Darcy will get to hear it again this morning, but I think it applies to all of us, and it's a I guess it's been a challenge to me in my own personal life, and I'd like to share it with you this morning. Exodus 20 and verse 12, where this commandment is given, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Honor thy father and thy mother. Paul writes to Timothy and says that the last days are going to be characterized by many things, and one of those things is disobedience to parents. That's one of the characteristics of of the last days, the closing days of world history. While I think it's always been a challenge, I think it is an increased reality in today's world now, Jesus referred to this commandment numerous times when quoting various in, in, in various ways or settings. I'm not going to read these verses, but if you're taking notes this morning, um, Matthew 15, 4, Matthew 19, 19, Mark chapter 10, verse 19, and Luke 1820 will be a sampling of scriptures where Jesus refers back to this commandment of honor thy father and thy mother. Now, another one would be in Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3 there, where the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. It is interesting and the original commandment, um, and there's some variations of this, but it's always honor thy father and thy mother. And usually um, longevity is related to this commandment. And Paul says it's the first commandment with promise. And that means as the promise that was given is that it may be well with thee or that thy days would be prolonged upon the earth. Now it doesn't simply mean entirely that a person was going to live a long life, although that is part of that. the original meaning of that verse, is that you would live a long life. But it involves the blessing of God upon that life, and that is what, what is in, in focus here. And so that's why Paul says it's the first commandment with promise. It, there was a promise attached to this, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, we have heard this commandment given many times, we know it, and you with me maybe at times have wondered how this should all work out in practical life, when you think about honoring our father and our mother. And I'm going to, this message this morning was going to come at this from a little different angle, Um, and I'm going to, we're going to be looking at the paradox that is associated with this commandment to honor father and mother. There's a paradox here that we're going to be looking at because I think that this relates to the working out of this and maybe sometimes the struggle that we have in making this practical in our lives. And we'll come to that in a moment. But think with me, first of all, you know, as a young child, it wasn't usually a problem to honor your parents in most situations. There's that natural affinity with a young child to their mother and their father. Uh, Parents are often the hero for a young child. Um, I think it was at Bible school, I think it was a lunchtime or something. um, We sat across the table at lunch. There were some little boys across the other side, some of the children of staff. And I thought about this idea because they were... One little boy asked his other little boy, is your dad drive a Ford or a Chev? And I was just sitting there listening. I just thought it was so fascinating. Boy well, no, he said, my dad drives a chef. Oh, that's good, that's good. I suppose his dad did too. And if it would have been Ford, it had been fine too. But I'm just saying, you know, that they looked up to their dad, right? What dad drove was the right thing to drive. That's just an illustration of what I'm saying in relation to, you know, parents are often the hero for a young child. It's pretty easy to understand. Dad and mom can do almost anything, they can fix almost anything. They know about everything. For a young child, their parents are the smartest people on earth. As we get older, Maybe into the upper teenage years, typically we start to see the imperfections and flaws, or even failures of our parents, and that can vary in situations. As we uh, we, we start to see that they're not the heroes quite that we thought they were when we were younger. And that is in the transition of youth. That can be a, a difficult situation. True, there are all the good things that we can remember and we know about our parents. But it's not the good things that give us the problems. When we think about honoring our father and our mother, it's the negative things that we struggle with. As we come to Christ, we know and understand the importance of honoring our parents. The Bible says that. But how can all this work together when it seems sometimes like a bit of a paradox? And this isn't true of every situation. We understand that. Many have good parents and good home life and you know, yes, they know their parents are human, but don't really, you know, haven't really seen major failure in the lives of their parents. And so they don't struggle with those things in the same way. But I will also say, though, that every child growing up, every teenager at some point, will see some of the flat sides and the humanity of, of their parents. And you will have to deal with that. So, for those... You know that um, we'd say relatively stable, good homes, good parents, not a lot of dysfunction, we could say. You know, people, those, those individuals have a lot less to struggle with. But there's no doubt situations, and I understand this message is sensitive to all of us this morning in one way or another, some even more than others, I understand that. But there are others who face various levels of parental failure and have a higher mountain to climb in understanding the paradox of honoring parents. But overall, it's pretty easy at times for, especially in the time of youth, to feel sometimes that parents don't understand or they're a little too strict or the, and they don't respond right and so on. And then there's this large question of how do you honor parents when they are not themselves maybe as parents living right or have made wrong choices in life. And yet the Bible tells us that we to honor our parents. That's the paradox I'm talking about. I want to be clear this morning in this, in thinking of this, that honoring parents and the command to honor our parents does not mean that we are necessarily to condone the wrongs or the failures of our parents, or to overlook that necessarily. And we'll get to that a little, a few minutes probably, or follow our parents in the wrong living that they may be in. But. And in, in, in all of that, um, we, need, we need to understand that, that unless our parents are asking us or, or promoting something that we should do that is against Christ, but even in that setting, there's still a sense of honor that we have to give them simply because they are our parents. And that's what we're going to get to. Now, Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. The idea there is in relation to the word hate not his father or mother means, if you look it up in the Greek, it means to love less. If we put an allegiance or loyalty to our family, Whoever that family member may be, we put that allegiance or loyalty to that family member above our relationship with Jesus Christ, we got a problem. That's what Jesus was referring to. We have to be ready to forsake everything to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what that is meaning there. So what I'm saying is that it doesn't mean that our honoring parents justifies us doing anything wrong. Nobody can hide behind that. And it means that we love Jesus the most, and we love our parents or any other family member less than we have that love for Christ. Now, there are some very important reasons that God has clearly said to us that we are to honor father and mother. And I also want to be clear in this message, even though We're looking at sort of one side of this. We're not looking at parental responsibility this morning, or we're not looking at parental accountability to God. That would be a message in itself. We understand that. As parents, we will answer for the influence upon our children. But that's not really the focus of this message. So I want to make it clear that these principles that we're looking at in Scripture today does not take away from the accountability of parental responsibility to God. No parent can say to the child, yeah, I know that I'm, you know, um, probably a bad parent, but you have to respect me anyway. That's a complete um, wrong application to the scripture. God will hold those, you know, a parent responsible for that and accountable for that. So in looking at this subject of honoring father and mother, it in no ways gives us as parents any leeway in our responsibility and accountability to God. But we're looking at it from the, uh, the the child's perspective of honoring father and mother. Now we want to look now at some of the principles in Scripture that are foundational to this thought, in understanding this paradox, and then at some biblical answers. I'm going to be referring to two Bible passages. We're not going to read these passages because of the, it's a whole story and multiple chapters. But you're familiar with these stories. Genesis 6, we have there the, the story that, that led up to the, um, the flood. And how that God saw that the wickedness, you know, of the earth was, he said, only, they were only evil continually in their imaginations and their thoughts. And God said he's going to destroy the earth. He decided to destroy mankind from off the face of the earth because of that extreme wickedness. We find in chapter 6 and verse 8, it says there that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah and his three sons, according to what we understand in this scripture, were different from all the rest of humanity. And verse 9 says there that Noah was a just man, and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. That was the premise in which God gave him directions to build that ark, to save himself, and his household, and the animal kingdom, to replenish the earth later. But it's God's testimony of this man. We know the New Testament calls him a preacher of righteousness. He was a just man and perfect in his generation, And Noah walked with God. Now, so out of the multitudes, then on the earth, only Noah and his family were saved in the ark because he was a godly man. Now you go to Genesis 9, after the floodwaters had had, um, drained from off the earth, the ark was resting on the mountains, and it tells us there in in, uh, Genesis 9, 20-25, after the flood that Noah planted a, planted a vineyard, he made wine from the grapes, ended up drinking too much of that wine, and was uncovered in his tent. One of his sons, Ham, the Bible tells us in that story, saw him uncovered in, in, in that uncovered condition in his tent, and he went and told his brothers. There's probably more details to that story that the Bible does not give us, but that's what it gives us. Whatever the situation was, Ham was wrong in his reflection to his brothers about his father. His two brothers quickly and discreetly dealt with the situation all the while respecting their father. They put a cloth or blanket over their shoulders, walked into the tent backwards, and covered their father. When Noah woke, he realized what had happened, and Ham was cursed for disrespecting his father. Now here's the paradox. Noah was a godly man, a preacher of righteousness, yet here he was in a very compromised situation. In his tent, because he had drank too much wine. But despite what God would have had to say to Noah, which the Bible does not record, whatever Noah's fault was in that whole thing, the Bible doesn't record that for us. But what we but um, but what we do know is that Ham was cursed, and not his father. No, it was not. In other words, you see this principle now emerging in this story, the paradox. Ham did not choose to handle the situation right in relation to his father, like his two brothers did, Shem and Japheth. And he's the one that paid the price. The scripture says, honor thy father and thy mother. Even in that situation, when Noah was really, you could say, at fault, yeah, the brothers handling that situation differently in relation to honoring their father. Now we could go to the book of Second Samuel, and here we have the stories of King David's life. He is declared by God, as we know this, to be a man after his own heart. In chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, David hears that Saul was killed, but he does not rejoice, but rather he laments. And he writes that song, you know, and part of that is, How are the mighty fallen? He still respected Saul, even though you know what Saul tried to do to him. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a righteous man. Chapter 2, Judah asked him to be king over them. We're just going to run through these quickly, just in relation to the life of David. Chapter 3 records the birth of his four oldest sons, Amnon, Chalib, Absalom, and Adonijah. Chapter 5, we have Israel coming and also asking David to be king over them as well. Chapter 6, we have David bringing the ark of God to set it up in Jerusalem chapter 7, God promises David that there was going to be of his descendants a king over his people, the people of God forever. Of course a messianic prophecy pointing forward to Jesus Christ of the seed of David. And the Bible clearly records, you remember there, Matthew the uh, genealogies there or you can go to Luke and read that one too that uh, Mary and Joseph were of tribe of Judah, descendants of of David. Chapter 9, we have David there. He shows kindness to Mephibosheth, the lame son of Jonathan. Chapter 10, there's great military victories over the enemies, a lot of wars that David fought and his victory over them. Then you get to chapter 11. And you read of David's sin with Bathsheba. A sad cloud, a sad story in the midst of all David's greatness and his victories. The man after God's own heart falls into grievous sin. You, you remember the the um, how that in desperation he tried to cover his sin and ended up committing murder as well. So you have... Adultery and you have murder. Again, there's this paradox. The man after God's own heart, the man that God said, Your descendants will be the coming of the Messiah. In other words, we're thankful that David found full repentance and forgiveness, but the personal reaping for those sins was terrible. You go to chapter 13, Amnon defiles his half-sister Tamar. And David does nothing, seemingly, possibly paralyzed by his own failures, his own sin. He had a son now that, in a sense, repeated the sin. But Tamar's older brother Absalom, remember Amnon and Absalom were half-brothers, Tamar was Absalom's full sister. Tamar's older brother Absalom decides to take things into his own hands and kills Amnon. David seems to have a hard time. You remember Absalom fled.